Micah Parsons is pissed off. James Harden is engaging in mutiny. We got U.S. senators literally on the record with the cameras rolling, expressing a problem with student athletes get paid. And Jada Pinkett is talking about sex. Damn. The Stephen A. Smith Show in the house. Let's roll. First things first, this is about truth-telling. I have no agenda. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what No Mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Rep taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show, coming to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, over the digital airwaves of YouTube. As usual, we're here in my studio, thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel. FanDuel Sportsbook, the official studio sponsor of the Stephen A. Smith Show. By the way, before I even get any further, I just wanted to send out a heartfelt Thank you. A sincere level of extreme gratitude to all the love that you have shown me. The Stephen A. Smith show over the last seven months has accumulated in excess of 350,000 subscribers. That is the number that we exceeded just today. Can't thank y'all enough. Keep the love coming. I'm going to keep on coming. Okay. And as always, I like to tell you, like and follow the Stephen A. Smith show right here on YouTube. Just click the bell to get notified of all of our new content. And while you're doing that, please don't please don't hesitate take some time don't forget to pick up a copy of my new york times best-selling book straight shooter a memoir of second chances and first takes keep in mind i'll be taking your questions at the end of every show i'm building new studios they'll be finished in a matter of weeks and as a result of that once i move into those new studios i'll be taking live phone calls again etc etc but until that time i'll be taking your questions over social media so just post your questions on there my social media team will grab it they'll get it to me and i'll read as many of your questions on the air as i possibly can so again keep the love coming and i'll keep on coming let me get right into it because I got a fully loaded sports show coming at you today, not to mention some things in the world of pop culture, entertainment and beyond, because we got a venture into politics. We got because we got a senator, one from West Virginia, I might add, speaking out against players and their name, image and likeness. So that's a subject we got to tackle because ain't no way in hell I'm running from that subject. But before we do that, leave it to the Dallas Cowboys to lead the news. It's not my fault. I didn't want to leave with them. I made sure of it on first take this morning on my day job, but nevertheless, Micah Parsons got a podcast. And Micah Parsons, after winning uh, Monday night against the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium, uh, that brother, Micah Parsons, felt the need to avoid the media and what have you. And when pressed about an explanation, he did not hesitate. He went, he went in. He basically said, I'm tired of everybody trashing my quarterback. I'm tired of everybody trashing my team. He got real up in his emotions and his feelings in a way that I have not really seen him do so before. So before I get into it in any, with any kind of depth, 
Let's hear what Micah Parsons himself, the star of the Dallas Cowboys, as far as I'm concerned. Let's hear what the brother had to say before I elaborate with my response. Listen to this. I just don't condone the bashing of Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys and have the same energy for the Eagles. We want the same energy for everybody because there's a whole bunch of bashing when it's Dak Prescott, but not the same when it's the Eagles. I got time today. A lot of people said the Browns' defense was overhyped. I said the Browns are the real deal. Acho said this, which pissed me off. I'm not worried about the 49ers. They were missing Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel. The Browns were missing Deshaun Watson, Nick Chubb. They were missing them key factors before the game even started. So why is it that we are just scrubs and we're nobodies that don't deserve to be on the field and we're just all talk? But there's a hundred excuses for these other these other teams. If y'all just want to hate Cowboys Nation, just say y'all hate Cowboys Nation. I'm tired of people trashing my quarterback. I'm tired of people trashing my team. And that's why I had nothing to say to the media this week. You want to hear me talk? Come to hear me talk on The Edge Monday night. And that's point blank period. There you have it. Micah Parsons speaking up, speaking out, uh, really, really engaging in his emotions or what have you. I love Micah Parsons. That's my brother. Every time I see him, I give him a mad hug, mad love. I think he is the face of the franchise. He's a superstar for the franchise. As far as I'm concerned, he's got the potential to be the second coming of LT. There's only one LT as in Lawrence Taylor, but he's got the potential to be the modern day LT because that brother knows how to get after the passer. No question about it. Knows how to run down a running back. Knows how to run down a wide receiver. He's quick. He's fast. He's powerful. He's fearless. He's elite. Leads the Dallas Cowboys in sacks with five this season thus far. He's a big reason why they're four and two. But with all due respect to Michael Parsons, what the hell are you talking about? What the hell are you talking about? Come on, bro. Come on, bro. Somebody got to say it, so I'm going to say it. Michael Parsons, here's the deal, bro. You want the Dallas Cowboys to be treated like everybody else. So do I. You want them to be treated like an average franchise. So do I. You ain't won a damn Super Bowl since 1995. So I understand, Michael Parsons, if you want that. I get where you're coming from. Makes perfect sense to me. I'm looking at your birthday here, Michael Parsons. It says here you were born May 26, 1999. That means the last time the Dallas Cowboys won a Super Bowl championship, it was four years before you were born. At least three plus years before you were conceived. Yet they walk around. I'm talking about the Dallas Cowboy fan base walking around like they can pass gas and it's really perfume like Creed Aventus or something. That's how they walk around. And you sitting up here trying to come to the defense of the Cowboys nation. Now, come to the defense of your quarterback, who, by the way, has to show up in big moments. Come to the defense of your team, because y'all a pretty damn good team. Come to the defense of your defense, which is elite. I feel you on that. No hesitation, no shade, no nothing. But I'm not trolling here. I know I have fun trolling and all of that stuff, but it's all in fun. Michael Parsons, of all people, know that. He know I don't wish him bad luck. I love that brother. He's a superstar player, and he's a good brother. Got nothing but love for Micah Parsons. Nothing but love for Diggs. I even like Demarcus Lawrence with his truculent self sometimes. I like a lot of the Cowboys. You know how I feel about Jerry and Stephen Jones. They're my buddies. Stephen Jones saw me Monday Night Football, came up to me, gave me a hug. They know it's all in fun. I just hate on Dallas Cowboy fans because I'm a native New Yorker that's been listening to Dallas Cowboy fans irritate my ears every day. All my life. It's all in fun. And I troll them for fun. But this is a serious subject here, Micah Parsons. Yo, bro, 
You can't wear the star on your helmet. You can't play in the billion-dollar billion playpen. You can't play for an owner like Jerry Jones, more popular than 99% of the players in the National Football League. You can't represent a franchise and be the face of a franchise because it's you, not Doc Parks, Prescott. I don't give a damn what they say about the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Whoever that may be, Dak Prescott, Cooper Rush, Tony Romo, Quincy, Quincy Carter. I, I, I don't give a damn who it is. You're a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Normally, you the face. But not when Micah Parsons is wearing a Dallas Cowboy uniform. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Your franchise is worth $9 billion when the average franchise in the National Football League is worth $5 billion. I know the Washington Commanders just got sold by Daniel Snyder for over $6 billion. But Denver Broncos a year before got sold for over $4.5 billion. The average NFL franchise is $5 billion. The Dallas Cowboys are worth $9 billion. That's $4 billion. 80% more than the average NFL franchise. What's up? You can't bitch, moan, and scream when you get that kind of attention. As great as you are. You know what? So is Fred Warner. Do we talk about him the way we talk about you? No, because he's San Francisco, which is a big-time football brand, but they ain't the Cowboys. Nick Bosa's that dude. Joey Bosa ain't too damn bad. Miles Garrett in Cleveland. You see some of these brothers playing on the defensive side of the ball? They don't get as much shine as you. You know why? Because they ain't Dallas Cowboys. And if you don't believe me, Micah Parsons, go upstairs to Jerry Jones' office. Sit down and have lunch with the brother. Right there in his office. I was there last year. You know that. Have lunch with him. Talk with him. Let him give you a marketing lesson on who the Dallas Cowboys are. What they stand for. What they represent. You can't be moaning about that now. Of course people going to complain. Because y'all ain't one shit. It's just the truth. You win in games during the regular season. But your fan base walks around like y'all champions. Every single year. You go 3-13. and 13, Or in this case, 3-14. and 5-12. and 7-10. and 10-7. and 12-5. and 14-3. and 15-2. It don't matter. It's the same response when y'all losing the playoffs. You know we're going to win the Super Bowl next year, right? You know we're going to win the Super Bowl next year, right? Y'all walk around like y'all stuff don't stink. So, of course, if you're a person that ain't a fan of the Cowboys, because the Cowboy Nation, you're going to troll them. But with Dallas, with Dak Prescott, it's going to get a little bit more serious. Because when you going to win, bro? When you going to win? We know that Dak Prescott can ball. If he were a scrub, we wouldn't be talking about him. We'd just be saying, look, man, they need to change quarterbacks, bro. He, we feel sorry for him. We ain't feeling sorry for Dak Prescott because the brother can ball. Michael Parsons, Dak Prescott can ball. We know he's not a scrub. We know he has the potential to be elite. We know he should be out there. How the hell are you getting outplayed by Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant? How the hell Jalen Hurts comes into the league four years after you or so? Whether it's four or five years, whatever the hell it was. And he already better than you in some people's eyes. He the one that took him to a Super Bowl in his second full season as a starting quarterback. You've been a starting quarterback for eight years and you can't get him to the conference championship game. How the hell that happened, uh, Micah Parsons? How?
How are we being disrespectful? What do you mean you tired? I feel you tired. Why don't you, why don't you get tired of Dak Prescott not showing up? Why don't you get tired of that? Why don't you get tired of the Dallas Cowboys getting in their own way where Kellen Moore got y'all averaging 29 points a game and y'all get rid of them? Why don't you get tired of that? Why don't you get tired of those damn penalties getting in y'all way when y'all do lose games? Because usually penalties got a lot to do with that. Why don't you get tired of that, Michael Parsons? Now I ain't talking about you. As a player, you know how I feel about you, bro. You know that. You that dude. Don't ever let me get that confused. And I got nothing but love for you. I would never utter a disrespectful word about Micah Parsons. That's my dog right there. Love the hell out of that brother. Swear I do. Love him to death. But come on, bro. You can't protect them so much. I'm not telling you not to be frustrated. I'm telling you don't aim it in the direction of the media. How about aiming it at Dak Prescott? There's a reason why you kept hitting them in practice when y'all wasn't supposed to be touching the quarterback. You was trying to toughen them up, wasn't you? Wasn't you? You were trying to toughen him up, wasn't you? Well, tell the truth. Because you know he needs to get tougher. Coming to his defense now ain't going to help him. That brother got to develop alligator skin. I understand he's been through some times, some tough times. My heart goes out to him. Seriously, I'm not joking. And I understand there's a level of sensitivity that we all need to harbor when it comes to Dak Prescott to some degree. But he's a grown-ass man with incredible talent and incredible potential that has not reached fruition yet. He don't deserve a pass for that. He got to show up because the competition ain't giving him a pass. They might hug him. They might say, yo, my brother, much respect and love to you. But that's after they whip his ass and they've advanced to the Super Bowl and you going home. Everybody could be nice then. Hell, when people get into the boxing ring or the octagon in the UFC and they knock the other person out, don't you notice that after they knock them out and the person get up, they always go over and hug them? You all right? You okay? You okay? Because they won. Why not show sportsmanship? You won. You kicked their ass. Right? What you going to do to prevent that? That's Dak Prescott's job. That's not the job of the media. And not talking to the media ain't going to change nothing. And you don't have to talk to the media. We could just sit up here and wait for you to come on your podcast and quote you. You making their job easier. Because they don't have to sit in front of your face and be accountable for the things that they write and the things that they spew. They get to hide behind your microphone. Hey, you didn't want to talk to us. So guess what? All we're going to do is just sit here and wait for you to say something. And we just peel your quotes off your podcast. And they did their job. You ain't hurting them. You're letting them off the hook by not talking to them, Micah Parsons. This is your brother, Stephen A, talking to you. You know I ain't never lie to you, dog. You know I ain't never lie to you. 888-SAS-5303. That's 888-727-5303. That's the number to call into the Stephen A. Smith Show. It's a number that's not, we're not using right now, but I want you to, I want to embed that in your brain because once I move into my new studios, I want y'all calling all the time. But for now, just tweet me or Instagram me at Stephen A. Smith and you'll catch me that way. Let me move on to a different subject that's near and dear to my heart because you see, 
Let me say this to you. <clears throat> I get annoyed when folks out there get on me about bringing up race. And by the way, that's not just white folks. That's some black folks. Damn, I'm black. And even I'm getting tired of him talking about race. Shut the hell up. Maybe if you shut the hell up and open your ears and listen, you'll know what I'm saying. I'm not bringing up race. I'm addressing others who have. Whether directly or indirectly. Whether flagrantly or subtly. There's a difference. And when I think about... <clears throat> the sports of college football and college basketball. Although there's a plethora of white individuals that are playing the sport, and we know this to be true, the vast majority of those two revenue-generating sports are dominated in presence by black folks. I bring that up because when I see an elected official a sitting senator like Joe Manchin from West Virginia speak about student athletes and the money that they're earning, lamenting it, by the way, not celebrating it. It makes my skin crawl. It makes my skin crawl. And I'm looking in the chamber I'm going on PBS or NPR rather, and I'm wondering, is anybody going to check this dude? Is anybody going to check him? Now, this senator, in fairness to him, it is his business. Because I have no doubt Congress, meaning the House of Representatives and the United States Senate are going to have to get involved in college athletics due to this NIL stuff going on, name, image, and likeness. There's no doubt about that. And I'll explain that in a minute. But before I do any of that, I want to say it is the senator's business per se. So he wasn't off kilter or out of his lane by commenting on this stuff. But to see the bias that he spewed The void of facts that were necessary for him to articulate that he that he elected clearly not to do. It really, really made my skin crawl. For those of you wondering what I'm talking about, listen to Senator Joe Manchin talking here about the student athlete getting paid in today's generation. Listen to this. I think I've always said this. I never could figure out. When we were in school, we used to get tickets and we would sell the tickets and that gives us a little bit of spending money. We got $30 a month for, for laundry. That was it. I, I said, that's pretty good. We could almost live on $30 a month back in the 60s. So we felt good about all these things, but then we thought, man, I, that's a bonus. I didn't expect that. And then I says, so-and-so, some of my classmates and my, my, my ball players, their own parents couldn't afford to come watch them play. And if, a, and if an alumni tried to play, pay to get the parent there, it was a violation. Crazy. I said, how come your mom's not here? Well, my grandma, she can't afford it. I just said, we've got to fix that. So I know you all have good intentions. Guys, you've got to help us. If not, we're going to lose something. Well, I think one of the greatest pastimes that we've ever had. And no matter where you went to school, no matter if you played or not, you're still there. It's still part of you. 
and you're rooting for the system, but you're rooting for the kids. And anymore, it's kind of hard to root for the kids when they're starting multimillionaires as a freshman, sophomore. So that's my two cents, Mr. Senator, President. That was a United States senator, supposedly on the Democratic Party. Uh, most of the time, or at least half the time, Democrats are wondering whether he's with them or not. The Republicans, damn sure, are wondering whether he's with them or not. He prides himself on being independent, whatever. Um, but this is the end of the 10th congressional hearing on potential legislation to regulate name, image, and likeness in college sports. It was the 10th hearing. And this Senator Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat out of West Virginia officially, cut through all the pathetic grandstanding from his colleagues and a phony hand ringing from highly paid NCAA administrators and admitted that what this is really about. I'm reading from an article and I'm quoting from this article. It doesn't say specifically where it came from because I'm trying to give full credit, but I don't see who to credit for this article. Believe it or not, it's cut off at the top. So because of that, I don't have that available to me right now. So I apologize. But essentially, listen to what he said. He talked about the ills of, quote unquote, chasing the dollar when picking a college. He talked about how he got $30 in 1965 when he was a college student because he was born in 1947. He's 76 years of age. And he talked about that. And, and injuries cut his athletic career short, et cetera, et cetera. But listen to what he said here, because I played the video for you. Did you hear that sentence? It's getting hard to root for the kids when they're multimillionaires as freshmen and sophomores. This is what Senator Joe Manchin had to say. How can y'all not be disgusted? Tell me how y'all can't be disgusted. I'm anxious to hear this. I, I, I want inquiring minds because I want to know how we're going to sit idly by and let somebody get away with something of this magnitude. I really do. I'm just thinking about it right now. Top sports by name, image, and likeness compensation. Football, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, women's volleyball, softball, men's golf, women's track and field, men's track and field, and women's gymnastics. We all know what the two revenue-generating sports are, don't we? It's college football and it's men's basketball. That is a fact. And to see Joe Manchin say what he had to say made my skin crawl. But at least my man, Mark, Matt Barnes, from the podcast, All the Smoke, with him and uh, my man, Stephen Jackson, Stax, came back. Because remember, when Senator Joe Manchin says it's hard for, to root for kids when they're starting as multimillionaires, as freshmen and sophomores, Matt Barnes, highly intelligent Matt Barnes, brilliant brother. He says, my question to Senator Joe Manchin is, you find it hard to root for kids who are touching some good money, but don't find it hard to root for the NCAA and colleges who've made billions off the backs of college athletes since the inception of the NCAA, March 1906. That's 117 years, and they haven't given them a single dollar. Let's not forget NIL money is not coming from the NCAA. Let me know y'all thoughts. Matt Barnes is absolutely right. 
he's absolutely positively right. And we need to say he's absolutely positively right. What's a college education worth? In 2000, I'm sorry, in 1965, $30 back then would be worth $293 now. We live in a different age. Stuff changes. Manchin, as in Senator Manchin. Did y'all know that he's got a 65-foot yacht or boat that he lives on in Washington, D.C.? Congressman and senators got apartments. This brother got a yacht. He ain't getting stuck in no traffic from D.C. to West Virginia. He's just simply taking a boat. That's what he does. How you get the money? Take your time, Joe Manchin. I'll wait. Lobbyists, donors. Hmm. So you can get it. College coaches on a collegiate level in both football and basketball, they can get it. But the kids couldn't get, shouldn't get it because it's hard to root for the kids because they're making money. I appreciate your honesty. Because ain't that what's really been going on? Isn't that one of the excuses that you've allowed the NCAA to use for all of those years? They were denying kids the opportunity to get paid off of their name, image, and likeness. Remember when Chris Webber was a member of the Fab Five and couldn't even go into the bookstore and get a sweatsuit or a hoodie for himself because it would have been an NCAA violation? Remember that? You remember how kids couldn't sit up there and afford to fly their parents to a game or to fly home to see their parents during the holidays because it would have been an NCAA violation. Remember all of that? But y'all get paid hand over foot. And the reason why I love all of this because you see, understand what's going on with Senator Joe Manchin and the rest of those folks up on Capitol Hill. The NCAA loves this chaos. You know why the NCAA loves this chaos, ladies and gentlemen? Because every school has different rules because every state has different rules. What's allowed in Alabama with name, image, and likeness isn't necessarily allowed in Mississippi, isn't necessarily allowed in New York. It might be a little bit different out west in Los Angeles or the state of California or the state of Washington or the state of Nevada, whatever the case may be. The kind of things that you could do in Utah, you got players from rival schools promoting car dealerships. In L.A., it might be something far more lucrative. And because all of this stuff is going on at that particular moment in time, Everybody stands to benefit. You don't need the universities as much as you needed the universities, so you're not as beholden to them as you once were. And on top of it all, your marketability elevates so you could always depart and go elsewhere. And they're wondering how the college sport's going to live. But the NCAA ain't stepping in and doing much. You know why? They don't want to get sued. So because they don't want to get sued, they're saying, Congress, please, please, please come help us. How do you enforce them to come help you? By allowing things to be as chaotic as it possibly can be so it can be perceived as being out of control. And that way, when it's perceived as being out of control, what will happen is folks will turn around and say, look, we can't have this because we can't have the inmates controlling the asylum. Order has to be restored. We got to figure out something, but we can't do it if we're a sanctioned body overseeing collegiate sports. We need Congress. Because what's the chances that people are going to be able to get away with suing Congress? How are you going to use the law to sue lawmakers 
and think you're going to be successful over a period of time trying that strategy. They're the lawmakers. They could always change the law so it's not applicable. It's a game. But you see how some white 76-year-old senator is advocating that the game be employed to push us back to a time once embraced by a vast majority of American citizens. That is what Manchin is doing. Let's see if he gets away with it. At Stephen A. Smith, that's the place to send your messages on Twitter, X, on Facebook, Meta, on Instagram, IG. Send your questions that way. I'll try to get to as many as I possibly can. You're listening live to the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show coming at you coming at you right here on YouTube every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least over the digital airwaves of YouTube. As always, encouraging you to send your uh, tweets, uh, send your messages or questions via Twitter, X, Facebook, Meta, Instagram, IG. You know the routine. At Stephen A. Smith, feel free. Go right ahead. Let me transition from Micah Parsons and Senator Joe Manchin on name, image, and likeness for college athletes to James Harden and the Philadelphia 76ers of the National Basketball Association. And James Harden is making news because this morning, uh, James Harden was a no-show for the Philadelphia 76ers. He was supposed to show up to work. He elected not to do so. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, we're living under a rock. James Harden already went over to China in the offseason. He called Daryl Morey a liar with the microphone on and the cameras rolling. He said, let me repeat myself. Daryl Morey is a liar and we will never speak again. Um, He said that. Um, But nevertheless, when people talk about James Harden and forcing his way out, what's working against James Harden right now is that he did force his way out of Houston. He did force his way out of Brooklyn. And now he's forcing his way out of Philadelphia. And since he was in Houston, his last time in Houston was the 2021 season, the first eight games of the 2021 season. That means since 2021, over the last two plus years, James Harden is approaching playing for his fourth team, his fourth team. Before I go any further, I had Commissioner Adam Silver of the National Basketball Association on first take this morning. Had a one-on-one interview with him. Want to take a moment to thank all the commissioners. It's very rare you see anybody get all four commissioners, particularly in a calendar year. But I've had exclusive interviews with Gary Bettman of the National Hockey League, Roger Goodell of the National Football League, uh, Robert Manfred of Major League Baseball. And now today I spoke with Adam Silver for the NBA. I asked him a plethora of questions. We had a great, great conversation. Really appreciate him taking the time to come on my show, First Take on ESPN, which is every weekday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, But in the process of doing that, um, I also took the liberty to ask him about the James Hardens of the world, meaning players who find themselves demanding 
out of a team, out of a city. Um, and obviously, Adam Silver elaborated with his response, not on a particular player or a specific player, but nevertheless, the whole general consensus of players wanting out. And the commissioner said it as diplomatically as he possibly could. It's not something that they like. Uh, they collectively bargain. They hope that players will honor their deals. You certainly don't want to advertise and, 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 and promote and provoke uh, guys demanding out of their contract. You sign a contract, you'd like to believe you have to, be, you have to honor it. That's usually the way that it goes. Uh, but with NBA players, as is the case with some professional athletes, when they want out, you got to get them out because they have a cancerous effect on the culture of your team. And certainly James Harden is an individual that could do that. James Harden is the one that came in out of shape in Houston specifically for the sole express purpose of being allowed out. He sent the message to the Houston Rockets. You're not going to get the player that you were accustomed to seeing that was leading the league and scoring that won a league MVP. And K instead, you're going to get a bearded version of the Pillsbury Doughboy because I'm not going to be in shape because I'm not going to let you use me or utilize me. I want out. So he got there. He wanted to go to Houston. I'm sorry, he wanted to go to Philadelphia with Daryl Morey because Daryl Morey had departed as the head of basketball operations for the Houston Rockets and departed and like a thief in the night, went to Philadelphia, and there was no way in hell that the Houston Rockets were going to trade him to Daryl Morey because they was a bit salty at how Daryl Morey departed and how quickly he ended up getting a Philadelphia job, which means it was something he was talking about before he departed from Houston. And they weren't having that. So James Harden had to end up going to, Houston, to Brooklyn Brooklyn giving up assets to get him. Then he had to turn around and want out of Brooklyn to end up in Philadelphia, which is what transpired. We understand all of that about James Harden. And we understand where he's at now. But that's the critical about James Harden, who's not the player he used to be, but is still pretty damn good and an all-star caliber player. Averaging 21 points, led the league in 10, with 10.7 assists. And clearly is adroit and astute at playing the point guard position in a fashion that some would deem Tyrese Maxey is ready to partake and embrace. That's the criticism about James Harden. My sources tell me there's another side to this story. And they tell me that James Harden, he's not handling things right. But he ain't wrong, Stephen A. They said, Stephen A, when you were on first take a few weeks ago and you kept hinting at if Daryl Morey lied to him, if Daryl Morey didn't tell him the truth, if Daryl Morey led him astray, it's a different animal. Well, guess what, Stephen A? It's a different animal. According to my sources, Daryl Morey, the president of basketball operations for the Philadelphia 76ers, did indeed lie to James Harden. Now, I don't know this for a fact. I have not spoken to Daryl Morey. I'm going to give him a call later. Hopefully he will answer my call. And if he says something different or he, he speaks about it extensively, I'll make sure to come back on the air and talk with y'all about it. But I have to tell you, that's what I'm being told. Daryl Morey got slick. And he told James Harden he was going to give him the max. Now, there's two forms of the max, ladies and gentlemen. There's the maximum years. And there's the maximum per year. So if you're James Harden, your number may have started at 36. But you were looking for an additional hundred and forty five hundred and fifty million dollars. 
and you were led to believe by Daryl Morey that that's what you were going to get, according to my sources. According to my sources, Daryl Morey has a different uh, argument. Daryl Morey promised them the money, not the years. So when James Harden opted into his deal at $36.9 million, that's what Daryl Morey was talking about. Let me say this. I find that very difficult to believe. Because why would James Harden be so pissed off? He had a player option for the $36 million plus, $36.9 million, which he exercised. If you know you've got a player option to exercise the $36.9 million, and that's what you ended up getting, and it coincided with what Daryl Morey promised you, why would you be pissed about something that you already had, which is the player option to take those dollars? It had to have been more. It had to have been more. Now, my attitude was, regardless of all of that, Daryl Morey took care of James Harden for the better part of 10 years. They grew together in Houston. James Harden got what he wanted, what he wanted. If he wanted a pedicure and a manicure, a, pedi- a pedicure and a manicure, Daryl Morey would have gave it to him personally. Would have gave him a massage if he wanted it to. Hell, they might have cuddled. I mean, we just don't know what Daryl Morey, I mean, that's how he felt about James Harden. James Harden wanted Max Dollars, he gave it to him. James Harden wanted Dwight Howard, he gave it to him. James Harden wanted Chris Paul, he gave it to him. James Harden wanted Russell Westbrook, he gave it to him. Wanted Carmelo Anthony, he gave it to him. And then when James Harden didn't care to have those dudes anymore, Daryl Morey got rid of them for James Harden. Let him take trips. Didn't mind his proclivity for strip clubs and stuff like that, not throwing out his business, but his business has been out there for years. Everybody knows this. That's his business. It ain't unlawful. So what? It's in public, by the way. If it was private, I wouldn't have said nothing. But the point is, that's the situation. That I was thinking, damn, James, chill out with the vitriol. But then somebody said something to me. You know what they said? Says Stephen A., what if you were tight with the man for years and the man made you a promise and then not only reneged on that promise, but went MIA on you and wouldn't even return your phone calls? Because that's what happened to James Harden this summer. Daryl Moy went MIA on him, according to sources. Again, I have not spoken to Daryl Moy. I have not had an opportunity to ask him definitively if this is true or not, but I will today. If that is the truth, then James Harden has every right to be livid. Livid. The thing is that rules have changed in the NBA. And if you James Harden and you don't show up to work and they docking your pay, It doesn't matter if it expires or not. Remember, if they deduce that you're doing this on purpose to get out of your deal, the team can retain your rights. and You don't get to go anywhere. So it's going to be interesting to see how that falls out. By the way, 76ers were on the phone. And uh, from what I'm being told, Clippers wanted a first-round pick. Or rather, I'm sorry, the Sixers. One of the first round pick along with Terrence Mann. Clippers weren't willing to unload that. We'll see what happens in the hours to come. But it was possible that James Harden might have been a Clipper 
So far, that hasn't turned out to be the case, but who knows? The day is long. Who knows what will happen in the next few hours, particularly once I get off this air. We shall see. We shall see. Switch it to another subject. Um, <clears throat> we all know that the Memphis Grizzlies star, John Morant, has had some troubles in the last year. And he's been suspended for the first 25 games of this upcoming season because of his transgressions involving having a gun in his possession, um, flashing it while he's driving with cars, having friends who are not making the wisest decisions because they're literally filming him while he's doing this kind of stuff. All of that is true. All of that is true. But it doesn't mean that he's not great. It doesn't mean that he's not going to be great. John Moran's a special dude. And being that special dude, I expect special things from John Morant. And now more so than before because of primetime Deion Sanders. Now, what the hell am I talking about? Primetime Deion Sanders decided to send John Moran a message Wednesday morning. And apparently he was watching something and he decides to decides to tweet John Morant. Primetime Deion Sanders sent this inspirational message. He said, how do you see yourself? You've got to start seeing you the way God sees you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are, ma you are more than a conqueror. You are created to have dominion and you are blessed. Please understand all the positivity going on in your life and stop allowing the negativity to dominate your mind. You are God's masterpiece and the light of the world. Now act like it. Coach Prime. It's a wonderful message by Coach Prime, Tom Deion Sanders. Nobody can knock it. Nobody can throw shade on it. Nobody can say anything. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. Can't deny it. Very touching. Doesn't matter. You see... We got to get beyond thinking that truth is negativity. You're John Morant. You're representing the NBA. You met with Adam Silver. You looked him in the face and told him it was an aberration. It would never happen again. You told my, former, my, 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 my boy, my former colleague, Jalen Rose, it would never happen again. Gun wasn't yours. It wouldn't happen again. You know you were wrong. You have a responsibility. And then you record on video doing it again. It was a stupid decision. Doesn't mean John Moran is stupid because he's not. Doesn't mean he's a bad guy because he's not. But let's be honest. It is what it is. You can't put yourself in that position because at the end of the day, we want to sit up there and, they, and folks go, oh, Stephen, A., here he go again, whatever. Pay attention. You want to make money or don't you? Do y'all understand that John Moran and that silly decision he made Cost him about $60 million. I know he's going to get $231 million. He's got $231 million coming to him with his new contract. It's a player contract. But $60 million is $60 million. That's $60 million that's going from your pocket for nothing but foolishness. And we all have to capitulate to something and somebody in some capacity. You can't do what the hell you want to do when you want to do it, how you want to do it, when you have your hand out for somebody else's money. 
The NBA was here before John Moran arrived and it's going to be here when he's gone. Telling him that ain't hating on him. Telling him that is loving him. You think I want John Morant to, to fail? I want this brother to succeed. You think I wouldn't love that superstar in the NBA Finals? You want me to tell you what my biggest, my personal biggest problem with, your, with John Morant? I know this is going to sound crazy because it's stupid to be brandishing a gun. Whether it's at a strip club or in the car with your boy, with one of your boys foolishly putting it on Instagram and all of that stuff. But you want me to tell you, that's foolish. That's unfortunate. I felt bad for John Morant, but I knew what was going to happen. But let me tell you when I was angry at him. When you on the bench laughing at the Crypto.com reading in Los Angeles, California, as the Memphis Grizzlies was getting down, were down by 40, getting your ass kicked. See, I remember Jordan walking off the court with his head down and then stories about how he was on the team bus crying and screaming at his dad, how much time do we have? I mean, how many times are we going to fall? You know, this is, this, is, this is just not good. You know, tomorrow ain't guaranteed, blah, 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 blah. I remember when Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal went back-to-back-to-back titles and going for that fourth straight ring when San Antonio finally bounced them out of there. Kobe Bryant was on the bench crying. Because it meant that much. You know what it means to us to see a superstar like John Morant laughing when you're down 40 in a playoff game, a playoff elimination game? Because that's what I saw. And when LeBron walked off the court without even shaking their hand because Dylan Brooks was so disrespectful and it was allowed and the absence of sportsmanship, he didn't even want to go there. So he just left, kicked their ass and left town. Or at least left the arena. That's what we love. That's what we live for. Ain't nobody rooting against John Morant. And if you listen to what Prime had to say, he's talking about looking at yourself as a king and fending off the negativity. I got news for you, John Morant, who responded in a very, very positive fashion towards primetime Deion Sanders. Major props to him, by the way. He did respond in stellar fashion, and he deserves credit for that. No doubt about it. Okay, but let's make sure we're clear about what transpired, just so we're clear, so we make sure that we know what we're talking about. When John Morant responded, when he elected to respond in a very positive fashion towards Deion Sanders, he's missing it. Deion negativity that he was talking about wasn't the media scrutinizing you. It's about the company you keep. Weed out those who would get in your way. That's all Dion was saying. And don't compromise yourself, your greatness and your success. Go all out. Memphis got a chance. If John Moran is that dude and he comes back with a vengeance with a healthy Steven Adams and a healthy Brandon Clark and Marcus Smart, that rough rider who is there after all of these years in Boston, let me tell you something. Memphis has a chance. But only if John Moran is ready. Only if John Moran is ready.
Before I get on out of here for the break and come back with my interview with Carlos Boozer, former NBA player, former NBA All-Star Carlos Boozer, and your phone calls, I want to take a moment to thank Commissioner Adam Silver yet again for coming on my daytime television show, quite frankly. He had a lot of things to say, entertaining changes in All-Star Weekend, uh, but highlighting that a lot of positives are going on. And I got to tell you, when he highlighted those positives, I feel an obligation to articulate some of those positives myself because there's a lot of stuff to peel from what's transpired with the NBA. Okay? It really, really is. Just look at it for a second here. The NBA, yes, the NBA Finals ratings were down 6% when Denver took out Miami in five games, six games actually. Right? Five-game series. I apologize. But remember, the NBA set records for total attendance, average attendance, percentage of capacity, and sellouts in the 2022-2023 season. 22.234 million fans. 79. I'm sorry, 791 sellouts, which was the most ever last season. 791 sellouts last season. 18,077. That was your average attendance, which was a record. And by the way, 97% capacity. Think about that. Think about that. 97% capacity. That simply means if the average arena holds about, say, 20,000 fans, the average attendance was 19,400. Or 97% capacity. My researcher got me that information. Appreciate it. I'm just looking at this stuff right now. And the NBA is in a very, very good place. But I'm not blind. Slam dunk contest needs to be fixed. It's an atrocity. We got a G League as the champion. I mean, they got to do something. They got to do something. The year before was a national, was an international disgrace. You got dudes trying to dunk in Timberlands. Timberland boots. Everybody missing 14 different dunks before they made 15. Got to change. Got to get more effort during NBA All-Star Weekend. All things that Adam Silver concedes. He arrived in 2014. I'm just looking at some notes here. Adam Silver's first season as NBA commissioner in 2013-2014. Did y'all know that 15 of 25 All-Star selections played at least 75 games that year? Eight of them played at least 80. But this past year, only four of 27 All-Star selections played at least 75 games, with none of them playing 80 games. Participation is what it's all about. That's why they got this in-season tournament. This is what they did. So they're going to have to figure it out again. And we'll see whether or not they will. But it was an honor and a privilege to have Adam Silver on with me. Very important that we had that conversation so people know what time it is. The NBA is thriving. The NBA is going to continue to shine. In-season tournament, no doubt. We're going to continue to do that. I think that's going to 
end up blowing up is going to be relevant and what have you. And that player participation matters. You cannot have dudes missing a bunch of games. But I did make sure to point this out because it was very, very important. We got to stop blaming the players all the time. We got to be fair. The fact of the matter is, it's not what it used to be. Doctors used to stitch you up and say, you're going to be just fine. Send you right back out there and play. Now doctors got more control than the coaches. Doctors will tell you you can't play. It's just that simple. They'll tell you you can't play. And they'll collaborate with the analytics department because the analytics department want to go by the numbers and they say, hey, you know what? You don't play. You're not subjecting yourself to injury. You're good. But Joe Dumas, who runs basketball operations for the NBA League office, is like, I want to hear that. Yeah, be damned. If that's going to happen, the fact of the matter is you, you signed a contract and the contract calls for you to play as many games as you possibly can if you're not healthy. It's an 82-game regular season. You don't get to circumvent that. That's what they said. So I decided to call up. You know what? I'm looking at Joe Dumas. He's 60 years old now. But Joe Dumas, I might remind y'all, was a Detroit Piston his entire career from 1985 to 1999. That's 15 seasons. I'm looking at Joe Dumas' resume here, okay? Do y'all understand this about Joe Dumas? Joe Dumas, up until his very, very last season, and we don't know if it was injury or he just didn't play, from 1985 to 1998, Joe Dumas played all 82 games twice. I'm sorry, three times. He played... 80 games a season, at least once. He played 79 games a season. This is when it was more physical now. 79 games a season. They didn't run as much, no doubt. They weren't as athletic as they are now, no doubt. But hey, Joe Dumas was doing some running. 82 games three times a season, 80 games with 100, uh, you know, once, one, one season, 79 games. Twice. What do you say? We don't see that today. Something's got to be done about it. Something's got to be done about it. So I'm proud. I'm happy that Adam Silver spoke up about it and put everybody on notice. So we all can join in and making the NBA product and helping the NBA product continue to thrive. More power to them. Make no mistake about it. I know I'm rooting for it. I'm here for it. I'm going to always root for the players. But you got to do right too. You can't just be missing games when you're healthy. Damn that. Damn that. But it ain't their fault either all the time. Them damn team doctors and the folks in the analytics department. Maybe the eye should be brought on them. Maybe we should get names and faces to attach to them so people will know when they messing with fans entertainment. You're listening live to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Carlos Boozer, former NBA All-Star, he's up next, talking about his new book, along with this upcoming season and his thoughts. That plus your phone calls in a minute. You're listening live to Stephen A. Right here on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? 
My guest today is a 13-year veteran of the NBA, during which time he was a two-time All-Star and Olympic gold medalist with the 2008 USA basketball team. He is now an author with his new book, Every Shot That Counts, a memoir of resilience, which is on sale right now. Please welcome to the show, former NBA star, the one and only Carlos Boozer. What's going on, big time? How are you, man? How's everything? Bless, man. It's good to be on. Appreciate you having me. Man, Steven. please appreciate appreciate you being on the show. Just before I even get into the questions, it's a great it's great to see you. Got a lot of love for you throughout your NBA career. In my years covering the NBA, you were always good to me, my man. One of the one of the classiest dudes going on. You'll always be a friend to me. And I'm happy to have you on the show. So I just wanted my audience to know what you mean to me before I do this, I begin this interview. This appreciate book, right? That. No doubt. This book, Every Shot That Counts. You know, why did you want to share this story? Because there's a story that you're talking about in here where you talked about a traumatic experience from your childhood that you never told anybody before. Talk about what it, that story is and why you wanted to share it. Yeah, my best friend Chris got shot and killed right in front of me mm. as a young man in, in D.C. And it was something that is obviously a childhood trauma that stuck with me my, my whole life, my whole career, obviously. And only my parents knew, obviously Chris's family knew, some, some very close family members. But I think it was time to share the story so people can know what I'm about, where I came from, mm -hmm. why we moved to Alaska, um, and how Alaska really changed the outlook of our trajectory for our entire family. You know, my mom and dad had five, uh, five kids. All of us went to college. All of us graduated. Not saying that we couldn't have did that in D.C., but we did do that growing up in Alaska. Yeah, I'm wondering, you know, why did you, why was it something that you never told anybody before? I mean, especially once you got to the leagues, you went to Duke, you started Duke, you go to the NBA or whatever. People forget how big time you are. I'm still mad at you for leaving Cleveland to go to Utah because, damn it, I think you would have been a champion if you didn't do it. But we'll get back to that in a minute. But why was this something that you didn't tell anybody? Why did you like to keep quiet about it? Yeah, I, mean, I was six years old when it happened. Uh, you know, Stephen, A., you know how street violence can be, and you never know what that fallout may be from that. Right. You know, my parents and I made the decision just to keep it to us and keep it to the, the small circle of people who knew about it right. and move on, move forward with our life. And then we did that. You know, we packed up everything. My aunt was living in Alaska, Juneau, Alaska. And so we packed up everything, took a van all the way to Bellingham, Washington, and then took a ferry from there up to Juneau, Alaska. Mm -hmm. And that's it opened up a whole different world. I was learning how to ski and snowboard, learning how to start fires. My dad used to love to go fishing, hiking, things of that nature, which we did not have in D.C. So um, I kept it to myself because that was the family decision that we chose to make. Man, let me transition to Alaska because I ain't never been in Alaska. <laughs> I ain't never been to Alaska. I ain't had no damn desire to go to Alaska. When I think Alaska, I think cold. I'm imagining every day is 30 degrees or less. Am I accurate? I mean, what, what's the weather like there, bro? What's the weather listen, like there? Listen, the summers are very nice. I, I, I suggest you go on a cruise in the summer. The cold, the winter gets to your bones. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest to go up there in the wintertime, but the summers are beautiful, man. We got glaciers. We got beautiful mountains picturesque type of pictures up there. You go up there, you you come back with an insane experience that you'll never experience. I used no. to fly on helicopters that would land on glaciers okay. and walk around the glacier. Ain't that where them damn polar bears are? Them polar Absolutely. bears, they be and, and they be snatching people up. What do you, I mean, ain't that, ain't that the I, truth? 
Absolutely. Well, we got my, bears, we got wolves, porcupine, everything. Oh, deer. hell no. And you telling wolves. us we should go there? We should go where polar bears and wolves and, and bears and all this. All of this stuff that, that'll eat people in a heartbeat. That's where we should go? Stephen A., you missing out, man. You missing out. Go check it out. Spend, spend a week in Alaska to change your life. Oh, my Lord. So back to this book. Mm-hmm. What is it that you want people to take from this book? Because that's not the only story that you tell in there. But the overall or the underlying message and theme to this book is what, according to Carlos Boozer? Just if you have a dream, go after it. You know, I, I was a kid growing up in Juneau, Alaska, and I told my parents, hey, I want to I want to go to the NBA one day mm-hmm. from Juneau, Alaska. Right. So th- along that journey, there's a lot of speed bumps, there's a lot of roadblocks. And just like anybody who has a goal or a dream or something they want to accomplish, you're going to run into some difficulty and you have a choice to make. You know, do you bust through that roadblock or do you pivot and, and work for somebody else helping them accomplish their dream? Mm-hmm. And I mean, just to give you an example, when I was in seventh grade and we go into our, we go into our, our classroom, the teacher asked everybody, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I, I just told the truth. I said, I want to be in the NBA. And she, she told me that, you know, Carlos, you should you should uh, have lesser expectations. Maybe work at the local gas station or local yeah. grocery store. And that was odd to me because I'm coming from a household where my mom and dad, they, they encouraged me to be a dreamer, like go after your dream, go after your goal. So imagine a, a seventh grader, 12 year old kid, their seventh grade teacher tells them they're reaching too high. And so at that time, in that moment, I decided to not listen to my seventh grade teacher and keep going after what I wanted. And so my message is, if you have a goal, if you have a dream, go for it. it, it very few times are you going to go on a smoothly paved out road for you. You're going to go through some ups, some downs, some highs and some lows. Keep going. Life is very short. Find your tribe. Find the people that will help you and assist you to accomplish what you want to do. You've got children and obviously you have always been a conscientious brother. You care about a lot of people. So you pay attention to what's going on, um, at least from a distance, if not directly. I wonder when you tell that story, how concerned do you find yourself in this day and age about teachers and guidance counselors and the potential impact they can have on young minds? Because I had a guidance counselor when I told her I wanted to go to college. She laughed at me laughed like literally laughed like you really like like looking at me like you have no chance whatsoever and i held on to that and that really really motivated me but it could kill some hopes it could kill the dreams that youngsters may have some youngsters are looking for an excuse to give up while you have others who want to go for it they just need that extra boost how concerned do you find yourself for young minds out there considering the educational landscape that exists and the kind of impact a potential educator, supposed educator, is supposed to have on young minds. Yeah, I mean, it's very important. I mean, you leave home for your mom and dad, and who knows what background uh, some of of the youth may have, may have come from broken homes. Maybe they do have both of their parents together. Maybe they're being raised by a grandparent. I don't know. But when you go to school, you're assuming that these, that these, these educators are going to give them the best advice. But Imagine a kid coming in saying, hey, I want to be a photographer. I, I want to be the next Stephen A. Smith. Mm-hmm. And they deter them and they, they give them the notion that they can't achieve that. That's unacceptable. And that's what that's what I face. It sounds like something that you face with your guidance counselor. Yep. I, I'm, I'm of, the, of the mindset of encouraging people to dream because ultimately life is tough. But if you have something that you're passionate about, you're going to give it everything you got. And that's why I tell people all the time. 
you know, find your tribe, find like-minded people who think like you, want to achieve like you, want to break down barriers, you know, break generational curses and go after what you have. We don't know what, you know, how much time we're going to have on this earth, right? Mm -hmm. Chris, Chris died at six years old. Right. You know, who knows? He may be the one that got to the NBA and not me, but for some reason I was here to tell his story. You know, you your last year in the NBA was 2014, 2015 with the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, you know, I, I thought that at one time you were able to leap power forward. Don't get me started on you leaving Cleveland. I'm just, I, I just, I, I, I didn't blame you. I mean, I didn't blame you for taking the money from Utah, not one bit. But I was like, damn it, that Darren Williams helping win a title because uh, you're gonna have to be LeBron, and and, and that wasn't the case. But I, I guess. Looking at at the NBA right now and thinking about what it's done for your life, I'm trying to figure out how the hell you got there playing in the snow. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I mean, in damn Alaska, ain't no damn. I mean, unless you only played in the summertime outside of what the, what the hell did you do? Play basketball on skis? How that happen, man? How you get there, man? Listen, I didn't do it alone. I'll tell you that right now. I was blessed with two parents that supported me, older sister, three younger, uh, three siblings younger than me. That helped me along the way. My, my high school coach, George Houston, is in the Hall of Fame for Alaska for basketball coaching. Terrific coach. Um, and Darren Matsubora, man, EBO. I got a chance to play travel basketball that took me down to California and New York and Jersey and, and Vegas, all these different tournaments when I was a young man. And me and Matt Barnes and Deshaun Stevenson and Drew Gooden, all these, we're on the same AAU team growing up. So uh, that was really how I got discovered. I went to, I don't know if you know, you probably do know Dana and David Pump. The Pump yes, owners. I do. I know the Pump I brothers. Went, I, went, I went to their their basketball camp when I was like a 14-year-old kid. And I just, I played well. I broke a backboard. And like, it went viral. Everything, you know, everything after that changed for me. Mm -hmm. I started getting letters from colleges. And, you know, next thing I know, here comes Coach K in my living room. And I'm a junior, senior in high school. Right. And I end up at Duke. And, and the rest is history. Yeah, the rest is history. Let me ask you this question. As you reflect on your basketball career. Uh, we all have regrets in life. Uh, mm -hmm. We live with some better than others. Um, what is yours? What's your biggest regret? I would say, I mean, it's funny because a lot of people would say, you know, stay in Cleveland and take $40 million less. And no. don't get me wrong, what LeBron was able to do with this league and still doing in this league is remarkable. His longevity, the ambassador, what he's done off the court with the I Promise School, the yep. impact that he's had on so many lives is it, well beyond uh, any expectations any of us had for him. But part of me, you know, wishes that I would have maybe stayed in Utah. You know, I, I think going to Chicago gave me the best chance to win the championship. Derrick Rose was super special, like yeah. one of the one in a lifetime kind of talent, one of the generation. Joakim Noah, Luau Dang, Taj Gibson, Nate Robinson, Coach Tibbs. Like we had an incredible roster in Chicago. It was difficult with, with Poole getting hurt after we, after he got the MVP that year, the next, you know, four or five years in a row. Right. But I wonder what would have happened if I stayed with D-Will in Utah, where they would have built the team around us, got us a real shot blocking type of center to contend with the Spurs and the Lakers. Obviously, Kobe and Timmy were very difficult to beat come playoff time, right. as you know. Yep. Um, but that that's one. I, I would say staying with D-Will and, and seeing what the team would have built around us. 
Well, I think the thing about it is, even though I want to mess with you, the reality is that you departed from Cleveland after LeBron. What was this? His rookie year or his second year? I think it was his second his rookie year. His rookie yeah. year. So you were departed after his rookie year. They got yeah. to the finals in 2007, which is about four years later. I thought they would have got there sooner with you. And if LeBron had somebody like you there, you know, he wouldn't have had to flex and tell him his boys, go strong, go strong, because <laughs> you would have handled that on your own. But I think about D-Well, because D-Well was nice. D-Well was nice, no Ooh. doubt. Now, I had a problem with him when he went to the Nets because I didn't think he was that player any longer. Too, shooting too many damn jump shots for crying out loud. But D-Will could dance on you. He could ball. He could do a lot of things. And the combination of you two together in Utah was something special. As you, you reflect on that, um, you really think y'all would have won a championship? I think depending on what they put around us. One of the one of the most dynamic things that we had with Jerry Sloan's offense in Utah was our center was Memino Kerr, who was a three-point shooting guy that kept the middle open for me and D. Will to operate because he was such a three-point threat. The problem is he's 6'10", 6'11". I'm 6'9 on a good day. Paul Millsap, 6'7". And we're going up against Andrew Bynum, Paul yep. Gasol, Lamar Odom. That's all seven-footers, right? Right. Then you go to the Spurs, they got Tim Duncan and Fabricio and they're all seven footers. So we, you, we didn't, didn't have need to, the you didn't need to mention Fabricio, but go ahead. You didn't need to mention Fabricio, but, but go ahead. Go ahead, man. Go ahead, man. We didn't have we didn't have the size, I thought, to contend with some of those those teams. You know, we could beat Denver, you know, we beat Houston with Yao Ming and T Mac, but for some reason the Spurs and the Lakers had our number. Obviously, Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant. Mm. When we sit around today and we reflect on the NBA particularly the season that was and now that Denver's the NBA champions. Um, we saw Damian Lillard just arrive in Milwaukee. We saw Ooh. Drew Holiday arrive in Boston. We see Denver standing pat. We see the Lakers for the most part standing pat outside of acquiring Christian Wood from Dallas and ultimately Gabe Vincent from Miami. We see the Clippers hoping and praying that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George can stay healthy for a postseason. We got all of that going on. If there's a story that you believe we should be focused on for this upcoming NBA season, what would it be? I mean, the moves that were made are terrific. I mean, I can't wait to see Dame and Greek Freak partner up. Dame's been so loyal, and now he gets a chance to win a championship. It kind of reminds me of uh, KG when he left Minnesota. Yep. You know, when he left Minnesota, got a chance to compete for titles. I think Dame's going to have opportunities in, in Milwaukee to compete for titles. And uh, rightfully so. He, he's deserving of that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious to see how the CP3, you know, Steph Curry mix works in Golden State. Right. I'm curious to see how the Bradley Beal, you know, Devin Booker, KD and Phoenix, if that, if that chemistry can arise. Those two teams are interesting to me. I mean, obviously the Warriors just won it a couple of years ago. Uh, Phoenix is on the brink, it seems like, of having something special. They just moved their center in Aiton. I'm looking forward to seeing those two stories and kind of how they unfold. I'm thinking about Boston being the favorites coming out of the East, not Milwaukee. Because really? even though I Ooh. love Damian Lillard and Giannis is unstoppable, I think perimeter shooting and free throw shooting comes in handy. Now, obviously, Damian Lillard will take care of that. But <laughs> the flip side is, what if you key on Damian Lillard and let Giannis go off? But he going off by getting to the hole, but he's getting fouled and free throws are an issue or perimeter shooting is an issue because you collapse and cover the paint. To me, you can't do those things to Boston. Jason Tatum could score from inside and out. Jalen Brown could score from inside and out. Drew Holiday is there now. 
size with Derek White at the guard spot with Drew Holiday is there. And then Porzingis is seven feet three, Al Horford 6'10", and both of them can shoot. <laughs> That's I'm like, why are people looking at me like I'm, I'm smoking something when I say Boston's a favorite? No, I'm not mad at that. I mean, Boston got a roster, man. You saw what they did last year. Right. You know, I, I think they're one of the teams that will always have a chance. They're, they're, they're locked up. Uh, Jalen Brown, obviously Tatum, those two guys together are so dynamic. And then the pieces around them are terrific. You know, you see where Al Horford almost found the fountain of youth. I was, I played against Al Horford. He's still going. Right. Um, that's impressive to me. But, you know, then you got Porzingis, who's young. And if he can stay healthy, can knock down shots, can be a force. I will say, though, Milwaukee's interesting because everybody and Giannis is obviously working on his three point shot, but everybody outside of Giannis can knock it down. You got Brooke Lopez out there, Bobby Portis off the bench, obviously Chris Middleton and Dame, like everybody around him can knock it down. So if you got Giannis dominating inside, he draw who you going to double off of. Right. That's true. I wouldn't even double. I just let Giannis dominate me and hope that he misses a shot and I'll foul him and send him to the free throw line or let him get his two rather than Dame you drilling threes. Lakers got a chance because you know I feel like I already got a bet with my man Shannon Sharp. He bet me that 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 Anthony Davis gonna play 65 games this year. I said, You're gonna lose that bet before Valentine's Day. You're gonna lose that bet before Valentine's Day. It's just that simple to me. I I, I would love to see A D play. You know, a full season, 70 games for him would be would be awesome because he's such a great talent. I've been obviously playing against him for a few years when he was younger and been a fan of his game for a long time, even all the way back at Kentucky, coming out of Chicago. Kick him, he can really play. He can ball him, especially when he's out there. You saw what he did in the playoffs last year. I thought he had a great run. Mm-hmm. I know they fell a little bit short, but the Lakers have a chance. I mean, Rob Polink has put a great team around those guys. LeBron and AD. But I'm going to tell you, it will come down to AD being the guy. It, it's, it's, it's time for him to really step up and be that guy, be able to carry a team. I'm not saying LeBron can't because he still does it night in, night out. He's still a force to be reckoned with. But for them to win a championship in L.A., AD has to dominate like we haven't seen him do before. Let me go to your your wheelhouse from this perspective before I let you get on out of here with just a couple more questions. We're talking to the great Carlos Booz, a former NBA player, right here with Stephen A. on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Um, John Moran is in Memphis. We know what happened with him and how he's spent it for the first 25 games, but God bless him. We hope that he's going to be all right. Get yourself yeah. together, get your life together and all of that other stuff. Dad, a mad respect for his dad, but you're the dad now. Don't, don't, you don't need to be partying with the, with the fellas. You, you old now, sir. You older now. Right. Um, right. Having said all of that, Derek Rose is there. And I know he's a reserve player. I got so much love and respect for D. Rose. Yeah. How great would Derek Rose have been if he had never gotten hurt. Could you tell people that, please? I mean, for the for you, for you younger generation, maybe you haven't seen the highlights of D. Rose, or maybe you didn't get a chance to witness his greatness. And the brother was special, man. I mean, there was moments for me and Joakim and Luau were just we're, we're his teammates, we're all stars in our own right. And we're just in awe of what he's able to do. He was jumping over seven footers, yeah. flying by us by himself, one man fast break a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So dynamic. Think about his trajectory, right? Number one player coming out of high school, goes to Memphis, number one pick in the NBA draft, wins rookie of the year, second year makes it to the all-star team, third year wins the league MVP, youngest MVP in league history, and then gets hurt six years in a row. Damn. Imagine what he would have did if he never got, he'd been on all the Olympic teams and, you know, 10, 15 time all-stars and scoring 
he he'd be on a lot of lists right now. Is my point. He was that special. I saw this brother play that dunk he did in Phoenix. That tomahawk dunk. Woo. I mean, Lord have mercy. I mean that 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 was one of the baddest dunks we'd ever seen. He's it, it just something special. And as phenomenal and great as Russell Westbrook has been at times in his career, Derrick Rose. I have those two as the two most athletic point guards in the history of basketball. Am I wrong? It's not even close. I mean, the stuff I've seen Russ do, the stuff I witnessed as a teammate of Derrick Rose, it's not even close. I didn't, you know, obviously I didn't play and and, and witness Oscar Robertson and some of these guys from back in the day, Walt Frazier's. But in my time, there's no question that D. Rose and Russell Westbrook are, are light years ahead of everybody else as far as athleticism at the point guard spot. Mm-hmm. Who's the best player in the NBA right now? I would say, I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's between Joker, Jokic, and, and Giannis. Those are the three most dominant, consistent guys that we have. Joker coming off a championship and a couple of MVPs. Uh, Greek Freak, obviously, right there. He's he's Chris Middleton away from getting back to the finals last year and a couple of injury. I think he had a back thing last year. Embiid mm-hmm. is so dominant with his. With his uh, ability to go inside and outside, his footwork is terrific. Touch is great. Mm. I, I'm gonna go with Greek Freak. Just I just I'm a Greek Freak fan. I think he's getting better and better. He dominates at 30 plus points and 12 plus rebounds, five plus assists. He's just hard to guard. Even though I really do love watching the Joker play, the way yep. he starts the offense and gets everybody involved. Can't jump offense. onto a curb and you can't stop him. Can't jump onto but a I curb Greek Freak. and can't I stop him. And can't stop him. And can't stop and him. Can't, and he can't jump over a paperclip. That's but right. he's unguardable. The greatest player in the hist- coming out of Duke's program in history is who? It's Grant Hill for me. And I say it with no hesitation. I think Grant, to me, was just smooth. I he I could, could defend, could set an offense, was, was one of the original point forwards that we had. And, and let's talk. We talked about D. Rose. What if Grant never got hurt, Stephen A.? Oh, whew. Jordan, Woo! Jordan part two. Not Grant quite, was, not me, quite. He would have been a cross between, I'm thinking Jordan and Kobe. My only thing is Grant could never shoot like Kobe and never learn to shoot as well as MJ. Yeah, but Citizen. what if he never got hurt? That's true. That's true. Grant Hill. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I say about D. Rose. Like, we didn't get a chance to see the athleticism mixed in with his jump shot that he has now. Imagine, and the poise and the maturity. Like, imagine Grant Hill being able to work throughout his entire career on his craft without having a, an ankle injury or a foot injury stopping him. Yeah. Last question. Um, the late Prince, God rest his soul, uh, once rented out your house in L.A. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, true story. What, what, what the hell is that? Renting out your house? Uh, first of all, I know he rented out your house and changed everything purple, right? Didn't he, did he do that? He did, correct. How much you charge him? <laughs> now, listen, the brother with $95,000 a month, wow. a lot of people like booze. If he's paying hundred grand a month, he should be able to do whatever he wants to the house. The right. problem is he didn't tell me about it. May he rest in peace. <laughs> a lot of love for print. Please let me know. Please right. give me a little addendum to, right. the, to the contract. Right. So you came home one day and everything was in purple. Everything was purple. I, I went up to the gate. I had two gold lions on the gate. I pulled up. There was some symbol. I never. I, I didn't even know he changed his name to the symbol. Came in the house, made the weight room into a, a disco ball, DJ booth, which actually was kind of cool. I never had that before in the house. <laughs> had, a, had one of my bedrooms made into a hair salon. It was, 
Uh, but I'll tell you what, though, before he moved out, it was like he was never there. Everything that okay. he had decorated the house with was back in place down to the forks. Did a phenomenal job taking care of the property. Actually raised the value four million dollars in one year just because it was Prince that rented it out. So, you know, how much did it raise the value? It's L.A. It's L.A. We need to know that. How much did it raise the value? I bought it at eight million, sold it at twelve. Wow! In one year because wow. of Prince. Wow! Before I let you get on out of here, very very last question: Who do you want your wish list to see playing in the NBA Finals this year? Ooh, good question. I would like to see. I would like to see Dame and Greek Freak in Milwaukee. And I like to see them play against Golden State. I would love to see the Steph Dame matchup in the finals. I disagree. You know why? Because Golden State has no size and there's no answer for Giannis and the combination of Giannis and Brooke Lopez, Kevon Looney. Well, who you want to see? It would be more if you bring if you gave me Milwaukee. It would okay. be Milwaukee and Phoenix. Okay. Or Boston and Phoenix. Okay. Now, if the Lakers, I'm sorry, not the Lakers. I mean, don't, well, first of all, I'm going to root for the Lakers because you know where I'd rather be. No way I want to be in June. You know, I mean, I mean, apologize about anybody. I want to be in Southern California. That's true. But, and I can't stand San Francisco. I just can't stand it. But I will tell you, I love to go to State Warriors. But if yeah. they got size, if they yeah. got size on their front line, I would be ecstatic to see CP3 with Steph and Clay and them in the NBA Finals. But I don't think they'll be able to do that. So you telling me KD, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal together, Nurkic in the middle now? I yeah. kind of like that. I kind of like, yeah. especially if Booker's your point guard. Especially yeah, if he's your he, point guard. He can play. He can play. Make. He was doing that before CP3 got there. Okay. Carlos, Carlos Booz, the title of the book, Every Shot Counts, okay? Every Shot Counts. The one and only Carlos Booz, former NBA star right here with Stephen A. On the Stephen A. Smith Show, I appreciate you, my brother. Happy for you, proud of you. Wishing you you good luck with this book and everything else in between. You take care of yourself, all right? Stephen A., appreciate it, brother. No doubt, always. My man, Carlos Booz, so good to see him, so good to hear from him, so good to talk with him. I got to tell y'all, I think they they had a chance. When Darren Williams was balling the way that he was balling and Carlos Boozer was balling the way that he was balling in Utah, they had a chance. But just imagine if he had stayed there, if he had stayed there for about three more years in Cleveland when LeBron and and, and Cleveland went to the finals against San Antonio. If Carlos Boozer at the height of his career was LeBron James' teammate, imagine what that would have been like. We can dream, we can fantasize. That's what I just did. Thanks again to Carlos Boozer. Let's get to the questions, please, that were sent in to me via social media. Let's get right to it. At Stephen A. Smith, who is this right here? Raging Celtics. At Raging Celtics. That's his handle. He writes, who's really stopping Boston this year and who does JT need to do or what does JD need to do to earn league MVP? Well, to earn league MVP, he can't tail off while Jokic and Giannis and Embiid are ascending. We know that Jason Tatum is a superstar, but he can't tail off a little bit while they're ascending because they're clearly going for league MVP honors. Jokic went and did his thing a few years ago. Last year, he tailed off because he didn't care about it. His priority was the championship. He said, Embiid, you want the league MVP? Go ahead. We're going to win this trophy. And that's what the hell Jokic did. That's why he's the best in the game. By the way, Jason, Jason Tatum, I love him. One of my favorite players. He's got to show up. Winners deep in the finals. Like, yes, he shows up in the playoffs. He's had a lot of big moments in the playoffs. 
And I believe had he not gotten hurt on the first offensive possession against the Miami Heat in game seven last year, they may have beaten Miami. I wish they had beaten Miami. I, I, let, me, let me rephrase. I wasn't rooting against Miami because that meant I would have been, I would not have been in South Beach. And we both know I would rather be in South Beach. However, Boston would have given Denver a much better series. That finals would not have ended in five games. If the Boston Celtics were in the finals against the Denver Nuggets, that series, I believe, would have gone seven games. That's just me. Having said all of that, styles make fights. We all know that. And in the end, what it comes down to is Miami wasn't a match for Denver. But with Jason Tatum, he is a superstar. He just can't tail off. Boston, Milwaukee's coming. No, they're not the same defensively. But Damian Lillard is something special. The thing is, I didn't know the Boston Celtics would get Drew Holiday. And since they got Drew Holiday, the Boston Celtics, to me, are the favorites. And I think they would beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series, even though I love my man Damian Lillard, and I'm not rooting against him by any stretch. Bottom line is, I think Boston still deserve to be the favorites. Let's go to the next question. At Big Will. 4167. How many games will Anthony Davis and Kawhi uh, uh, will play, in your opinion? I think that Anthony Davis, first of all, I got to bet with Shannon Sharp. He's betting me that Anthony Davis is going to play 65 games of the 88 2 regular season game. I told him he would lose that bet before, thing, before Valentine's Day. And I'm going to win that bet. You can book it. Anthony Davis is going to miss 17 games. You can book that. He's going to miss 17 games. You, you can, you, I was just watching him the other day. I was at the, the reader. I was at the arena watching them, and and and, uh, and you know their 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 preseason game against the Milwaukee Bucks. Every time Anthony Davis falls down, I'm praying he gets up. He gonna miss 17 games. Let's get that out the way. I say he's gonna play about 60. I think Kawhi Leonard gonna play about 55. That's how I view it. All I care about with Kawhi Leonard at this point, could you be a healthy for come playoff time? Could you literally win or lose a playoff series without sitting on the bench because you're injured, that you're healthy enough to be on the court when you actually lose? Because you might not lose with Kawhi Leonard on the bench because the brother's a superstar on the court because he's a superstar. And him and Paul George, and Paul George is, is vowing to play bully ball. He, he vowed that on podcast P, okay? I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Let's see what happens, all right? Let's get that out the way. Uh, this is at Valdain, V-A-L-D-A-I-N. Do you think parents should be held accountable by our system of laws if they allow young children between the ages of one and 10 to become Dallas Cowboy fans? I think it should be considered reckless endangerment and emotional abuse. There should be intervention. That's hilarious. That's true. But I would say up until the age of about seven. After seven, no, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? They start formulating their own thoughts while they're out there playing with the kids. And you know, Stevie, I love the kids. He sure does. So I don't want to say that about that. I want to go that far. All right. Let's go to at Mitch the God 86. I'm trying to bite off the Charlemagne with the T-H-A. I see what you're doing, but it's all right. Or it's G-O-D, G as in zero D, who knows? He says, have you started your own production company? If so, how and when will you be searching scouting talent to bring onto your, your brand. Yes, I have started my own production company. Yes, I am producing content. I'm just getting started. It's in its infancy stages. I've got a couple of projects that I've done, a couple of more projects that I'm working on. Um, but this podcast is an incredible priority to me. Um, but in the future, you know, we'll see. 
I'll be scouting talent. You know what I want to do? Let me tell you what I really, really want to do. I want to produce my own deaf comedy jam. And I want to co-produce it with Snoop Dogg. That's what I want to do. I really do, because that's my brother. I love him. And I want to do that. I just got that itch. I want to produce my own comedy show. I want to handpick comedians along with my man Snoop Dogg. And we do a Kings of Comedy style thing going on or a deaf comedy style thing going on from the days when Martin Lawrence used to host it and stuff like that. I would be down to co-produce something like that with my man Snoop Dogg. No doubt about it because he's hilarious as hell. Okay. By the way, Snoop, you know, I love you. You're my brother, man. But how you going to call me out for throwing a bad first pitch? I know I bounced it to the plate and all of that other stuff. It was pretty bad. It was an embarrassing throw. But it wasn't worse than yours. It wasn't worse than yours, Snoop. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, homie. You know, I love you, bro. On the scene, at sports underscore takes underscore double zero, was LeBron disrespecting the game by eating on the bench? Thoughts? Stop. First of all, LeBron always eats on the bench. Sometimes he eats on the bench during games. Secondly, he's LeBron James. He has never cheated the game. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, get on him when, you know, he shoots a fallaway jump shot instead of taking it to the hole. Or when he missed clutch free throws from time to time or something like that. Don't do that. Don't do that. This brother means too much to the game and he's given too much to the game for you to get on him about anything other than actual basketball. Actual basketball. If he on the bench and he want to eat a tangerine or choose some cheese doodles or whatever, that's his damn business. As long as he's ready to go out there and play when it's time. Leave him alone. Um, at King of Queens 69, he writes, let's hear the playoff baseball takes. What's your thoughts on the Phillies playoff run and Bryce Harper? I think Bryce Harper is my favorite player in Major League Baseball. And I think the Phillies are going to win the World Series. I thought Atlanta would get him, but Philly bum-rushed him. And I'm talking about 28 and 11 on your home turf since 2004 in playoff competition. Okay. Undefeated thus far. Was it 8 no or whatever? I don't know. It was 3 or 4. I don't know what the hell it is. I forgot the number. Phillies are balling. Kyle Schwarber is no joke. Wheeler's doing his thing. I mean, I'm just looking at the Phillies right now. Real Muto. I mean, I got mad love and respect. Now, I think it's going to come down to the Texans, I mean, Texas Rangers, rather, and, and, and because I think the Rangers are going to beat the Astros because I just think they got be slightly better pitching, and I think their hitting is going to be too enormous for the Astros. But I think that the Astros, the, 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 the Texans, Houston Texans, I'm thinking D'Amico Ryans and the Texans, C.J. Stroud, and how they're playing in the NFL. I apologize. But the Texas Rangers, I don't. if Scherzer was on his A game and fully healthy, I would believe in the Rangers more, but that's not the case. So I'm not. I'm of the belief that the Philadelphia Phillies are going to win the World Series. And I think Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber are going to carry them there. That's what I believe. That's just me. I'm sorry. That's it for today's show. Appreciate you joining me. Thanks for the love. Thanks for the support. Over 350,000 subscribers. Since I've been doing this show, the last hour, I've picked up 310,000 subscribers. It's now at 350,310 subscribers. I love y'all, man. I love y'all so much. That's what y'all make it fun. I can't wait until I move into my new studios and bring this to you every day because that's what I intend to do. 
Make no mistake about it. But until next time, I'm signing off. Peace and love, everybody. Stephen A. Signing off. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.